if you're in the space at all, you've probably seen the the stat that floats around and it kind of changes a little bit every year, but something like 80% of content that marketers create is never used by sales, which for my backgrounds in marketing, I am said content marketer is like a knife to the chest. It's, it's, it's pretty rough. You're listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience, a podcast dedicated to helping executives train their sales and marketing teams to optimize growth. Whether you're looking for techniques and strategies or tools and resources, you've come to the right place. Let's accelerate your growth in three, two, one. Welcome everyone to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. I'm your host, Chad Sanderson. Today we're talking about content management, more specifically, why salespeople never seem to be able to find what they're looking for, why marketing people are frustrated because sales isn't using the content they produce, and most importantly, how to drive attribution for all of it, as well as diving into what it's like to start a company from scratch. So to help us today, we have Lindsay Tepkema, CEO, Zachary Ballinger, CPO, that's product officer, from Casted, a new high alpha startup out of Indianapolis. Thank you guys for taking the time and welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. Happy to be here. We're super excited. (laughs) All right. Before we jump into the topic of the day, we always like to ask an odd little question uh, just so the audience gets a chance to know both of you a little bit better. So let's start with a hobby that you have that people that you work with might be alarmed or surprised to find out about. What would that be? I'm going to let Zachary go second because his is actually way more interesting than mine. I mean, I'm, I'm founding a startup. That's all that I have time for right now. But um, I, I get up every morning at 4.30 and I don't know, torture myself by working out. I think that's kind of a weird thing, right? 4.30? Like a.m.? Yeah, 4.30 a.m. every day. That's dedication. So, yeah, it's something. I don't know. Exactly. <laughs> I go to bed at like 4.30 every day. Um, I own a farm. So my... told you it was way more interesting. <laughs> Whoa, like like way farm more. farm? Like a farm farm? Or like one of those little mini farms? And sheep and goats, every bird you can think of. Yeah. Wow. Okay. That's the first time that's ever come up as a hobby on the podcast. <laughs> I've heard a lot of... And my, my wife and I both work in tech. So... <laughs> We have like chores in the morning, chores in the night. Have you seen the new, uh, you probably don't have time for it, but the new, the, I think it's on Netflix, I think with Dax Shepard, he and his wife inherit a farm and they go from the city, from New York city out to do this farm. I, no, I, I, I see have this image in my head. Cause yeah, I look a lot like Dax Shepard. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for those who don't know, I actually do know what Zach looks like. We've worked together before, so I'm just going to leave that one alone. All right. So let's start with, give us some um, context around Casted and, and kind of the roles that you guys are doing there. And we, and we know it's a startup. So the titles, you know, CEO and chief product officer, you know, it's a startup. So you're wearing a lot of hats, but help us understand what Casted is and what you guys are doing on a day to day. Sure. So um, Casted really at the highest level, what we are aiming to do is support B2B marketers in creating content that is effective, is accessible, and just help them really ring it out as much as possible. So if you're in the space at all, you've probably seen the the stat that floats around and it kind of changes a little bit every year, but something like 80% of content that marketers create is never used by sales, which for my background, 
backgrounds in marketing, I am said content marketer is like a knife to the chest. It's, it's, <laughs> it's pretty rough. And, um, so what we're aiming to do is specifically, I mean, we're, we're on a podcast right here. So it's pretty fitting is start with podcasts and say, look, you know, podcasts, um, they take a lot of effort. They take a lot of time, they take a lot of energy. And, you know, sometimes they take a lot of money. Why stop at just publishing your show, you know, go create a great show. That's great for your audience. And then we want to help you with the tool that we're creating to really fully bring it out, you know, transcribe it, clip it up, make it searchable, make it accessible for your sales team and make it easy for you as a marketer to repurpose it and, and uh, reaccess that content that you create. And from my perspective with background sales, I didn't know that the content marketers actually did anything. <laughs> right. I had no this idea is, that there really was great content. Partnership. <laughs> I mean, 80% is a high stat. I mean, that's, I, I mean, think about how much time, energy, effort, thought goes into that content that never gets touched. It's a lot. It's I, a lot. I mean, having it's carried a bag, marketers know it. yeah, one well, and having carried a bag, I can remember being like, what, what the hell, you know, what is marketing doing? Why can't I have something that's going to help me at this part of the sales process? And it probably kind of do a conversation Zach and I were having before. It was kind of probably there. I just didn't know it. Mm-hmm. I just wasn't yeah. aware of it. Exactly. Exactly. And so when we think to what you were, you and I were talking about earlier, right? It's like, we're heads down. We're trying to close a deal. We are prospecting we're, we're going deep in our relationships. And when we get stuck in those relationships and we're like, what the hell do we say to this person? I need to make up an excuse. Like, did you see the full moon last night? Um, <laughs> what we're trying to do is really avoid that. So you can actually come with content that's relevant and solves problems for the, the prospect or the customer. And, all right. So the MarTech space, extremely crowded. You know, I've, uh, I, everybody who listens to the podcast knows I've got a red button topic around them the term MarTech 5000 because <laughs> there's over 7,000 damn companies in it. So it's really and growing I mean, yeah, every year. So what, what problem are you guys seeing out there and how are you, how are you approaching it specifically? And there's a lot of content management systems out there. You guys know that mm-hmm. everybody knows it. What, what's going to, what problem are you seeing that none of the others have been able to crack that's yeah. going to, that cast it apart? Well, there's so many. <laughs> what, what we're starting <laughs> with, yeah, I mean, and the the cool thing about Zachary and and I and that I'm excited to be on your show is that we've, we've seen it from both sides, and um, specifically starting with and focusing first on podcasting. So here we are, we're creating the show, right? And and quite often in these circumstances. Um, what happens is, you know, we, we record the show, it gets edited, it gets produced, it gets published, you know, it gets tweeted about or posted about a couple of times and then it's on to the next, right? So as a content marketer, as a podcast show host, that's, you know, that's tough and that's, that's a, a hard thing to reconcile. And from a sales perspective, it's what's the point, you know, how am I, to Zachary's point a little bit ago, how am I supposed to use this? Am I supposed to use this? How do I use this? Where do I use this? So I think the way that I see it and the market will really tell us where we're going to lean. I mean, we're really early on here, but there's a, the two main tracks that we can follow are one for the content marketer who's creating all this content, as I mentioned before, help them ring it out, help them create one really amazing foundational piece of content, like a podcast and an episode and get more out of it. You know, turn that podcast episode into several blog posts and several social media posts and into supplemental content ongoing, you know, over time. Um, the other path is more of a sales and and marketing approach that we'll also be solving for, which is when sales is looking for content, 
we want to give them a place to look for it. So it's not just going to the marketer and saying, Hey, do we have anything on, you know, I've heard that question many, many, many times. Um, (laughs) but when you have a searchable database of all of your podcast content, um, and you know, ongoing, maybe all of your audio and video content, you can search for information that you can actually use. And maybe it's aligned to your sales cycle and it's aligned to your customer journey. Um, and it helps the marketer kind of communicate about how and where to use that content. Go. Yeah, so exactly. We're we're solving a lot of those problems between the content marketer and the sales. So that natural tension that exists. One thing that Lindsay's been saying in all of our conversations, but she left out of this one, I think is super valuable. Um, is that I forgot what it is already. Bringing out the no, bringing out the content. You brought it up. That's that's great. I got I was like, so valuable. That you forgot. It's, it was so it was good. it was such a build up there, Zach. Like I was waiting. I know. I know. <laughs> like, I know. Here it is. Here's one of those nine profound things. First, there you go. Okay. See, marketing saves day again. Yeah. Welcome back. I'm sure now. So it's it's multimedia first, right? We really think that the content marketers focus so much on blogs and traffic that they kind of forget how easy it is to break down an audio recording or a video recording and make that into multiple other pieces of content. And the best part of all of that is is in sales, you're you're taught to be personal. You need to be like right person, right place, right time, all of those great things. But the problem is when you're writing a blog post, you miss all the spontaneity. You miss all of the insights that come out of the blue because you're overthinking it. You're editing it. You're taking it all out. If you were to just put a mic in someone's face, they're going to say a lot of profound things. Not unlike what I've been saying this whole podcast. (laughs) If we overthought that, we might edit out some of this gold that I'm throwing at you. Maybe even edit out the part that I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> well, that's authentic. That I mean, that's part of the that's part of I think the power of that not overly scripted stuff, right? We all know that video converts better in emails. We, you know, we know the multimedia is the way we want to go, but it is a huge challenge. And I can say this as a as a sales executive when I am trying to send somebody something, it can take four times as long as it's worth for me to hunt down that snippet of the podcast. And then I don't even cut it. I literally just say, Hey, fast forward to minute, you know, 23 and a half. Yeah. And how many people do you think actually do that? None. Right. (laughs) It makes me feel good that I'm sending it out, but I, but it's not, you know, it's not a high engagement level of content. If I could strip it and trim it and cut it, combine it with, you know, here's, here's what you really need to be paying attention to. Maybe some video or something. I think that would be extremely powerful. Now, let's talk about the overall experience, right? Because I'm not slamming on salespeople. I am a salesperson. But there aren't a lot of them out there that want to spend the time learning significantly challenging technology interfaces in order to pull this off. So when you guys think about the experience of the people that you're selling to, how are you guys kind of... How are you framing that so that you can create something that is simple, elegant, easy, and impactful for the users that you're trying to, to get onto the platform? Sure. I love softball questions. Um, (laughs) It's it's twofold. Um, One is uh, we don't have the option to make a bad user experience or user design, right? I mean, there's, it can be as complex as, as rocket science, but we have to make it easy. It's just sort of a requirement. If you're going to be competing in a MarTech 5,000 space, right? (laughs) Like you have to stand out by design because you're going to have features that look similar to everyone around you. 
I would love to be differentiated just by ease of use. And I know a lot of people who hate ease of use as like a sellable feature, but like, I need people to use our shit. Otherwise it's not going to like, we're not going to make any money long-term people are going to churn and go to the next place that looks a little bit easier to use. So that's step one from us from a product perspective. And we're really thinking about it. In fact, we're recruiting for a UI UX designer right now. So if anyone's listening, um, <laughs> and then the other side of that is look, I also carried a bag at a point and I am not going into any system other than my, my email and Salesforce. That That's it. I don't have the time to, like you said, learn something new and I don't have the care to go and, and log something else somewhere else. Cause I've got value prompters to fill out and I've got Salesforce to fill in. Uh, I've got too much to do. So we are bringing our technology to the sales person. Uh, we're going to have plugins for, uh, Gmail for Outlook 365, definitely in Salesforce. So really what we're trying to do is make sure that when it gets into the hands of the salesperson, it doesn't change their behavior more than help them close deals. Well, I mean, I think it's important, right? That's an extremely important point because you, you said it. I won't, I mean, you're lucky if you get me to go into Salesforce. I, I mean, let's just be honest. Uh, as a sales rep, I want to sell. I don't want to be logging stuff everywhere. I don't, it's just not what I want. I want seamless. And while people may complain that that may be a differentiator, the fact of the matter is if you don't want to invest in software that sits on the damn shelf, it better be seamless and easy to use. So I think it's extremely important for you guys. And I'm glad to hear you're, you're taking that into account. I didn't mean to cut you off, Lindsay. Just oh, no, I was just going to say, uh, like from the, from the marketer's perspective, same thing, um, same thing, different use case where um, marketers, like I, in my past life, I had the luxury of a really a brilliant, talented team and, you know, some outside resources too. But make doing things like pulling clips and, um, being, doing the things that we're going to make so easy for marketers to just do would cost cycles. I mean, you would have to write it at the very least, write an email about, Hey, I would like this clip from minute, you know, one minute and 28 seconds to one minute and 42 seconds, send that to the producer, wait for them to respond to it, wait for them to respond, give you what you need. Oh, wait, it's not quite right. Go back and forth. Whereas this is, it's just, easy. I mean, it comes back to just, it really, it has to be easy. It just works, which is, which is not easy to pull off, right? It's not easy to pull off that technologically or from a UI standpoint or interface standpoint. I know because I spent 10 years selling that shit. So it's, that is not easy, easy order to fulfill. So, okay. So now let's talk about, you spun out of, um, out of a Marsus, you guys jumped ship out of another MarTech company. What was that jump like? Right. We very rarely, like we talk to start people in startups, but we got you guys like really early. Like we're, we're having this conversation. So has the fear set in yet? <laughs> or or yeah. is, there, is there fear? Like what's it been like to get to that point where you see a, a need in the market and then to make that entrepreneurial jump? Because I think there's a lot of people out there who may think they can do it, but then the reality, you know, keeps them where they are. So I'm very curious to hear both of your perspectives on that. Yeah. I, I... I don't, I think it takes a certain amount of crazy person, but <laughs> I've been called worse than that. So I don't, it was a no brainer for me. I mean, my past experiences working for companies have been fantastic and have given me really great experiences. I've worked on my own completely on my own before, and this is somewhere in the middle and a challenge in a whole new way. And I mean, high alpha, if, if you're not familiar with high alpha, you know, if your listeners aren't, they should they should take a look because it's, it's a brilliant team of people, um, led by some amazing partners that decided to start this whole thing. And there's, 
um, we're part of a venture studio, but they also have a fund where they invest in existing startups and they, they launch companies like ours. And so it was an opportunity that presented itself to dive headfirst into something just speaking for myself that I am extremely passionate about and to build not only a product that I believe in, but a company, uh, a culture, um, a team that, I mean, how, how could you not? Right. So that's, I mean, that's my perspective. I don't know. Zachary probably has some completely different reasoning. (laughs) Yeah, no, mine's, uh, mine is different. And I'm going to start with the fear side first, instead of like what the jump was like. I, I think that the fear is pretty mitigated from, from all of this because of the high alpha net, as, as I call it, like if I was a trapeze artist, there's, there's definitely a net beneath <laughs> us with these um, brilliant men and women who like surrounded us and like really like gathered us in and are teaching us along the way because as talented as Lindsay and I are and really every aspect of our lives, we've never been executive. <laughs> we've never run companies in the way that we uh, we're doing right now. So having these really wise individuals around us kind of guiding us and funding us really does help a lot for the fear aspect. Now we have that natural fear that you have to have of like, Holy shit, we're running out of money. Like fast. We've got to build this amazing thing. We've got to get revenue, but it's really mitigated by the fact that we have intros into places. We think that we have a really badass product that we're building. So the fear side is really mitigated. We get to play like, calm and and really know that we have something valuable that we're building. How I got here is a little bit different. I was I was actually um, inspired by value selling out of Marsis and and begin to kind of branch out and think more about revenue. And so I was actually already exited Amarsis and, and ran into Lindsay and um, she begged me to come help her. <laughs> <laughs> Something um, tells me there's a so That's how I ended up here. We'll just, we'll just go with that, Chad. That works. Okay. I, you know, I'm, I'm fine. We'll, we'll let that one fly. I have a recording, I think, of the groveling. <laughs> <laughs> that's a snippet you can send out to me from the platform. Yeah, we can clip that. <laughs> you can find that. We'll go ahead and clip it. And, yeah. uh, I don't know if it's profound, but it would definitely put a smile on my face. Yeah. <laughs> Chad, no, some some that's serious. Um, just the the aspect of like paying attention to the ability to build a sales team from the ground up, to build a company of something that's a little bit different culture wise. I think that we've talked a lot. We're going to pivot a little bit from that question, I think, but like we've talked a lot about maybe maybe measuring sales reps quarterly actually damages how they perform because they're not focusing on the long tail as much. They're, we're always pushing like build more pipe, build more pipe. Like your pipe needs to be three X what you think you're going to close. And maybe we look at that from a yearly perspective rather than quarterly. And I think quarterly is so hammered home that you lose really good talent uh, that way. And so I'm excited to maybe have a little say in how we build a sales team, how we measure that sales team differently than any other organization. Well, now you're hitting something near and dear to my heart because I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that thought. In fact, I have a client um, whose team does not have, uh, I think there were what, 15 people on the team, do not have hard and fast annual quotas and they do not have quarterly targets. They manage them to performance in different ways. And so what they have seen is it actually in, from 20, when they implemented this in the middle of 2018, in Q1 of 2019, they acquired 15 new logos versus the 17 that they had acquired all year the previous year because it totally changed the way that the sales reps were engaging with the business, with the prospects, not necessarily throwing things away that they would have because it wouldn't have closed within a, a 90 day window. So I, I am 100% a believer in, in pulling that off. I know there are some old school salespeople out there that are ready to 
send letter bombs to my house. But <laughs> it, I just think we have gotten to a point, especially with the generational changes, that you can't you can't manage a largely millennial sales force the way you managed Gen X and baby boomer sales forces. We, they're just totally different. They respond totally different in those situations. So I'm excited to see you have that opportunity, Zach, and 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 see how that uh, pans out for you. Awesome. I'm glad that I didn't shock you. I thought you were going to come at me. No, no, not for that. I might come at you for having a really beautiful head of hair, but not, uh, not, not for that. I'm, Hey, I'm all up for whatever's going to push the envelope and let's try something new. Right. I, I believe in foundations and methodologies, obviously, but what you build on top of that is limited only by the willingness and imagination of the people that are leading the company. Couldn't agree more. And and I think in all aspects, that's, yeah, it kind of circling back to your question is kind of why are we doing this? And yeah, we want to build something amazing. And part of that is building a, a culture and, and just an all around company that people work for. That's truly amazing. That tries new things. Well, and to have the opportunity to be in that venture studio, I mean, that's got to be, you guys got to feel really good about that. I mean, I can't, it's not like they're going to just accept anybody, although they did let Zach in. It's, but it's not like, they're, it's not like they're just going to accept anybody. That, that, you, you've got a team of people there that are vetting the idea, vetting the individuals. You have the guidance, mentorship, and coaching that so many entrepreneurs don't have, don't have the ability to benefit from. So I think that's going to set you guys up. And, and honestly, High Alpha's, I checked it out, High Alpha's track record is really good. Like really good. So, you know, I think you guys have a great foundation and I'm excited to see where it goes from here. And speaking of that, if we're focused on content marketing now, making it accessible, simple and easy, where, where are we in three or four years? What does it look like in three or four years? Not necessarily from a casted standpoint, but from a trends that you guys may have to incorporate or deal with as you grow the company. What is it that you're looking at on the horizon at? to kind of keep yourselves, you know, from getting too far into the weeds. Now, this is my softball question because this is my soapbox. So <laughs> yeah, I, um, again, one of the, one of the reasons I'm super excited about, about what we're doing is that I think that we're going to have a, an opportunity to have a pretty big impact on where I do believe content marketing is going. I mean, this is where I spent my whole career and, you know, basically over the last, you know, 15, 20 years, Content marketing from its very earliest beginnings has all been about written word, right? I think if you ask any marketer or anybody who, if you ask anybody talking about speaking about marketing, you say, Hey, what's, what's the foundation of your content? What's the foundation of your marketing strategy? They'll probably see their blog, right? And then they'll say, well, okay, what after that? Well, white papers, gated content, you know, it's written stuff. And then, Oh, by the time we do all of that, because we do X amount of that every week, then we're going to try to do a podcast or some video webinars. It, it, all of that other multimedia stuff, that rich media fits in around the written content. But so often, how are you creating that written content? Well, you're going and you're interviewing a subject matter expert or you're doing an interview or you're talking to a client, right? Also, how are you, how are the most successful marketers doing business today? Well, all that stuff is going back to video and audio interviews, right? So you're interviewing those subject matter experts. Why not capture it in a podcast interview? You're, you're doing those conversations anyway. So the way that I see that things are shifting is that the most successful companies are already starting to do it. And then everybody else is going to tag on and that's video and podcasts and that kind of media first. And then they're going to spin content out from it. So they're going to go out and they're going to collect those interviews. They're going to have those really rich, candid, sometimes scripted conversations. They're going to capture them. They're going to record them. 
um, they're going to publish them and they're going to spend content on around them. I think that that's a shift that we're going to start to see sooner than later. It's a lot faster to do it that way too. To create Isn't content. it? It's a hell of a so lot. So much more efficient. I mean, if you can go out, I mean, we're having this conversation right now and we're just, you know, we're spending an hour together. We're having a good chat and you're gonna be able to publish this. And then if you wanted to, you could, you could write some blog posts around it. You can spin out tons of other content from this conversation. I think more and more companies are going to start doing that. Yeah. Our workflow, our workflow. And look, I can't, I don't want to sound like I knew something I didn't. It's just because I'm freaking lazy. When we started the podcast, I started it because I wanted to talk to cool people, right? I just like having good conversations. Then it was like, okay, well, Somebody, we could transcribe it, and then the, and then of course the corporate marketing people were like, "Whoa, whoa, no! Let us write a separate blog post." Great, awesome, go do that. I'm not touching it. I'll record it, and then it creates a blog post, which then feeds social media. So we we started doing it just because I was lazy, and it is so much easier for the for the marketing team uh, as a whole. The only problem is I can't ease it to the back to the problem you guys are solving. I can't easily go back into the podcast and clip out the audio. Like I give you a perfect use case. We've done over a hundred and I don't know, I think we're at 130 or 40 episodes. We asked the same two questions at the end of every episode, literally same two questions. I would kill to be able to go clip those, recompile them, add some video over the top that. And if I could do it fast and effectively, it would be amazing. There's some great data in there. I'm just too damn lazy to go get it right now. <laughs> so what do you think that's worth? Um, well, we can talk about that. It's, it's, uh, I can tell you what it would do to my bottom line, but that's not the only problem you got to solve for me there, Zach. And I need to know if certain things I need in the solution to go back to the value problem. I'll value sell you later, Chad. <laughs> that would be fun. You know what? We should do another podcast where we do that. I love it. <laughs> that would be great. That would be a real, really good time. So, okay. So who else is involved in the business? There's, you got, we got you two as the founders. Who else... Um, who else is involved right now? Yeah, so we also have uh, Adam Paterino. He's our, our CTO. Um, he's actually in his cave right now uh, running the dev team and coding heads down. We don't really let him out. Um, no, no light. No natural light. three of us. Sorry, one more time. No natural light. Actually, I think he actually is in a room without windows yeah. right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it's the three of us as founders right now. And what's great about High Alpha is they provide the engineering staff and the design staff up front and well, and HR and finance and like yeah. all of the um, the things that you don't think about when you have to start a company. They really provide that for the first you know six to eight months through initial funding. So we are really uh, lucky, hashtag blessed, to have that kind of support. So really, there's three of us at the company, but there's a ton of people supporting us um, on the exterior and, and uh, building our platform and helping us design it so that it's the MVP doesn't look like an MVP. So it looks really, really great from day one. Ready to rock and roll. Okay. So let's, add, so let's get a little more real for a second. I want to go back to that fear question. Everybody... Like I, I'll self-confess here, right? I'm a share. We all know that. So when I started building this business... Uh, you know, I've been a sales exec and a marketing exec, thought I knew what I was doing. And then scared the shit out of myself, like, like nightmares at night. I didn't have high alpha. <laughs> it was all, it was all, you know, sweat, but there is fear there because to Zach, your point, you have a farm and a family and, and there's other relationships that this thing requires on. Has there been now high alpha? I understand mitigates that, but has there been, or actually let's change that. What is the biggest fear that you guys have as you start off into this endeavor 
and start, you know, putting in so much time, energy, passion, and effort. Yeah. My biggest fear is we blend in. It's crowded and we are really looking at some of the people who do things along the edge of what we're doing and saying like, Hey, they're doing it really cool. Like maybe we should figure out a way to solve some of that problem too. It breaks some of our focus at times. I think that lack of focus is something that we have a fear on. And then also if we nail it, but we nail it in a way that's generic, we kind of have not done anything but propagate the problem that we were trying to solve. I mean, we, our content becomes invalid. No one's using us because they're using XYZ competitor if one exists. And so mediocrity, mm-hmm. that's the, that's the biggest fear. Yeah. I would second that. And I think, you know, listen, the, the unfair advantage that I think that we have is that we're, is our passion. We're, we're obsessed with this thing. And I think we all, the three of us want to see it succeed and we want to see it be the best. And we're, super competitive, right? And, um, (laughs) super competitive, weirdly competitive. And, um, it's, I, I just need to see it succeed. And yeah, I think the, I think the biggest fear is, is mediocrity, not, not to, it's not about bottom line. It's not about, you know, some massive dollars and cents. It's about solving real problems that, you know, Zachary and I have faced first, firsthand in the same building (laughs) on opposite (laughs) sides of the table. So it's, yeah, I just, I want to, I want to do this and I want to do this right. Excellent. All right. So let's change direction here a little bit. We ask all of our guests two standard questions at the end of each interview. First is simply as you guys are CEO and CPO, that makes you a target or AKA prospect for other people looking to sell you things. And I'm always curious to understand when somebody doesn't have a relationship with you, there's no referral, there's no intro. What have you seen be the most effective at capturing your attention and allowing someone to earn the right to get 15 or 20 minutes on your calendar? I think for me, I mean, I, we could, we could spend the next, we could spend another hour talking about how to do it wrong. But, um, the things that catch, catch my eye are the ones that offer me, I mean, this, it sounds like I'm teaming this up for you, but offer me actual value, like offer me something like, Hey, can I, can I do something with you? Can I connect you with not like, Hey, can I connect you with anyone in my network? But like, can I connect you with this person or can I help you with this actual thing? And they actually got to know me and, and my role, like people are still prospecting me for a business, a consulting business that I ran on my own years ago. So just take the time to get to know me and what my problems probably actually are at this moment and um, try to offer me some real value on that. Lindsay, we call that personal value. <laughs> need some personal value, please. I love it, Zach, when you pander. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> what about for you, Zach? What works, on, what works for you? Because you guys are two totally different personalities. So, Oh, yeah. <laughs> really? Are we that different? Really? Uh, yeah. You're a little bit more polished. He's a little bit more farmer. <laughs> he said it, not me. Yeah, I'm a maverick. <laughs> <laughs> the maverick. Yeah, no, actually, that's not a bad... It's exactly what I would say. It's a great term. Yeah. Uh, for me, I, we talk a lot. Lindsay and I talk a lot about really bad LinkedIn reach outs uh, that we've had like over the past few weeks. But honestly, it's research. And if you don't know anything, but you still want to have a conversation, that's totally fine. But like, try to research something and intrigue. I knew some SDRs. I worked some SDRs. They were mine. In fact, uh, they were fantastic in a past life. And they would just do the weirdest shit and get people to engage. Like they would cut a Starbucks gift card in half and send it to a prospect and be like, Hey, I'll give you the other half of this for five minutes. (laughs) And it's just, wacky and like i didn't like they never even said what they did uh, but th- th- it was just enough like i mean 
ten dollars for Starbucks. I'll do that. That reminds me of this one thing. It happened a long time ago. You reminded me when you said one half of something. Somebody once sent me a, a set of diamond earrings and only gave me one of them. Whoa. Like them. real diamond or are we talking CZ? Yeah. No, legit. They were small, but I mean, quarter carat diamond earrings. And they're married now. <laughs> <laughs> if only it ended that way. No, but I, I took the meeting. Yeah, I, I bet. I would want the other. I'll sit through anything for the other diamond. Hell yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Last I question. I was super targeted. Otherwise, <laughs> I wonder who the hell's picking up like handfuls of quarter carat diamond earrings. Yeah. Ah, I, you must have been. You must have been seriously close to the seat of power uh, for that. In order for somebody to to take that kind of expense. Yeah. So hopefully it all worked yeah. out. Did you buy from him? Just out of curiosity, did you buy from him? No, I did not. <laughs> I did not. But I was a decision maker. I, so the, I was the right person, but I it just wasn't. Uh, not that I'm laughing at someone else's failure. I just, I just find it <laughs> <laughs> highly funny. All right. Last question. We call it our acceleration insight. If there's one thing you could tell sales and marketing professionals, just one piece of advice that if they listened, that being the caveat, what you believe would help them hit their targets or crush their quotas? What would it be and why? Yeah, I'll, I'll take I'll take the first swing at this. It's um, something that we're trying to solve. It's the genuine nature of sales, right? People buy from people is a really classic saying, and it's incredibly real. Let your guard down, be genuine, screw up, and forget we were trying to say in the middle of podcast if you have to. <laughs> um, he but, actually did that on purpose to appear more authentic. Yeah. Was all yeah. Planned disingenuous. It's unbelievable. <laughs> um, but, and, and that's something, I mean, I'm, I'm, I am creating a softball for this, but like, if you're going to be genuine as a, as a salesperson, then damn it, your content better be genuine as well. So that's my tip for the marketer is, uh, blog posts don't do it for, for being genuine. It just doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And mine to, to piggyback on that is, um, work together. Goodness sakes, just work together. I mean, you're on the same team. I can't tell you, I one time had a salesperson come into my office and this was not at my most recent role. This was a long time ago. Um, come into my office and shut the door and tell me how, how much I just didn't get it. And I wasn't out in the trenches and I just never would understand. And it's just like, okay, okay, well, this was not helpful. Like we're on the same team. And, um, so I would just say work together. If, if you're a salesperson and you feel like the marketing team is not producing what you need, go nicely, talk to them and tell tell them what you need. Say, Hey, look, you know, you're doing a ton of blog posts. You're doing this podcast. I don't know how to use it. Or it's, it's not the the messaging that I need. If you're a marketing person and your sales team isn't using your stuff, go ask them why, ask them what they need. I mean, it's, it seems so simple, but in in reality, it's, it just, it doesn't happen enough. Yeah. Amen. I (laughs) could not have said it better. All right. So where can we send people so that they can get more information on casted connect with you guys web address is the website up. What, what do you want to, where do you you want them to go? So casted.us. C-A-S-T-E-D dot U-S. Um, it will be, depending on when this airs, it, it'll, you'll get a different version of it because we're, we're growing every day. And we're going to be launching our own podcast, obviously. A podcast-centric company has to have a podcast, so watch for that. But at the very least, even right now, uh, as we record this, you can go and sign up on our super ambiguous and somewhat mysterious casted.us website, and uh, we'll keep you informed. Excellent. I cannot thank you guys enough for being on the show. What I would like to do though, if you're up for it, so I'm going to go ahead and, and, and pre-close you. I'd love to have you guys back on in like two, three, four months and see where we're at and how it's going and how things have evolved. You guys up for that? Absolutely. Um, always. Uh, awesome. I cannot thank you enough for taking the time. It has been great having you both on the show. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks, Chad.
All right, everybody that does it for this episode, you know the drill, b2brevexec.com, share with friends, family, coworkers, leave us a review on iTunes. And until next time, we at Value Selling Associates wish you nothing but the greatest success. You've been listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.